Heavenly Father, as we are singing those lyrics, that we would pour out our breath to you because you're worthy of our praise. What I was thinking about the, the passage where the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all things, that, that it is through him and for him that we are, all things are made. And Lord, that, that means that you certainly are worthy of our worship and our praise. Lord, that, that we would stop in the middle of the busyness of the week that we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ and collectively worship you is, is reviving to our souls. And Lord, we can do that throughout the week, individually and in small groups, but Lord, there's something definitely different about doing that as a, a body of believers together where we have surrounded ourselves with people of, of like mind and, uh, about our, our core doctrines, about the direction of and vision of ministry for the church. And, and so, Lord, as we sing t- collectively today, as we worship you, Lord, you're pleased with that. And that, that is an amazing truth for us to consider this morning. And so, Father, now as we get ready to turn to your word, Lord, because even if we worship in, in, in the, the background of all these, these songs that we've worshiped with and through this morning, um, there's scripture, there's still an important facet to what we do, and, and that is to, to break open the, the bread of life, the word of God so that we might learn from you, and that your spirit might take the truth of the scripture and teach us. So Lord, right now what we pray is that you would use these next minutes and the focus on the scripture to shape us, to sharpen us, so that we might um, know you more fully, uh, Lord, that we would be aware of, of your spirit's presence in our lives and teaching of the scripture so that we are sanctified and we walk in uh, purity as especially we're going to see in the scripture that we're looking at this morning, and that, that we as a body would be shaped differently in our response to you and to one another. So, Father, we surrender ourselves to you, to, to your authority right now, looking forward to what you're going to do in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So, uh, I think as I looked at the, the radar today, it's raining until about 3 o'clock. I uh, say this on some occasions, I will not scream into the mic. I assure you, I've done that once, twice, three times too many, um, and I will not shock anyone. But if it gets really loud and you can't hear, uh, do me a favor. Just say, hey, you know, and, and I probably won't be able to hear you over the rain, but I'll make sure that Jesse can, like, we know that it's getting hard to hear and we can bump that up with the sound so I don't yell. Thanks, Jesse. Um, this morning, we are going to begin in the book of he- uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you want to take your Bibles and turn there, and, and when you have a minute uh, over the f- first parts of my remarks, you may also want to turn to the, the book of Hebrews um, and uh, get yourself ready there. It's going to be in Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, I, I have not marked these passages, I don't think. So actually, maybe I have. I lied. I have marked them. So I'll be able to get there pretty quickly. Um, let me give you a couple introductory remarks, and the, the title of this message this, this morning, if, if I was titling it, um, and, and, and I actually do that and don't share those often, I'm, I'm trying to like think through some things in my teaching that are better, so I'm going to give you the title of this. Uh, it's Let Us Learn Christ. Um, and I, as I was thinking about the passages that we're covering and as praying over what we were going to look at this, this month of January, just the focus on knowing and learning Christ seemed really important to me. 
um, that, that the Lord just impressed. That, that's a topic that we need to focus on. It's probably stemming some out of some reading that I'm doing um, in, in a course of a, a couple things towards my own work and thoughts and, and just trying to understand the Lord um, and, and His grace. Um, there's a book series that I have. I think it's three or four volumes. I can't remember right now, but they're by a guy named John Frame. Uh, if you don't know him, you probably ought to get familiar with him. Uh, John Frame has written a great book. It's, it's not very long, but it's very, very rich, called Apologetics for the Glory of God, um, which when you think about, again, we, we worked through this. Students, you guys remember when we talked about apologetics a couple months ago? Apologetics is not me saying, I'm sorry about my faith. Apologetics is giving answers for my faith, okay? It's different than an apology. And so what he's trying to do in that book is establish how we can give answers for our faith to bring glory to the Lord. And so that's the, the theme of these three volumes or four volumes um, is lordship theology. And the first one is on the knowledge of God. And so I've been working through that. And this idea of the knowledge of God, he says something really important. And, and I think that as I started thinking about how this applies to Christ, it, it, because the, the, of the relationship of the Trinity, this hopefully is real easy to understand. Um, not that the Trinity is easy to understand, but it's easy to understand when we talk about the Lord and Jesus we're, we're, and the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the knowledge of Him, okay? So he says this, the knowledge of God is subject to God's authority. That, that may seem like not very important, but it's essential for us to recognize this. And I think he's spot on. And let me repeat that, that the knowledge of God is subject to His authority, and I think that that's something that we don't really recognize. And what, is, what he means by that is this, that the knowledge of and obedience to God are inextricably linked. That means they can't be divided. Okay, inextricably means they can't be divided. So the knowledge of God and obedience to God are inextricably linked. And I think that's something that we don't like run to in our thoughts often enough. I think what we want to do is we want to study and we want to gain information and knowledge, but oftentimes that aspect of obedience stands like distant from the knowledge. And we think, oh, if I'll just do these things, that, then that's enough for, for me to understand God. But the truth is, acting in obedience and the practical outworking of our faith is essential to knowing God. So um, let me... Uh, I, I, as I started thinking about that a little bit further, and these are just still just kind of some introductory remarks, I, I started thinking about um, why is it difficult oftentimes for us to become or, or for us to understand the practical obedience and, and aspect of that? And I think especially in the last couple of years because of certain things, we feel it's really difficult to engage in relationships because we've got, become isolated. And, and the enhanced deep knowledge of Christ Therefore, because of our relationships with one another, have, because those have been hindered, that deep, enhanced knowledge of Christ has also been hindered. Because the truth is, when we are built into these living stones as the church, okay, we're, and we're being built in this holy temple as those living, living stones that the Holy Spirit's working on, our knowledge and our enhancement of the knowledge of God really happens best when we're engaged in relationships with one another, because every one of us is essential to that. And, and believe me, you guys know me well enough. If you've been in my office, you know books are uh, 
approaching an idol to me. I, I hope I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because they're not, but I love books. I love to read. Um, but I can't sit in my office and engage in those books and gain enough without in, uh, relationships. They, they won't do me enough good. They, they don't enhance my relationships. It's working out my salvation within the body because I'm not designed to be a living stone apart from anyone else. I'm designed and created and saved to be a living stone in relationship with, with the body. Does that make sense? And so when we think about the knowledge of Christ and the knowledge of the Lord, knowledge is about those relationships as well and obedience to them. So we're going to explore some of those things. So let's look um, at, at Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. I think this will help us because I think it's really interesting. Uh, and if you remember a little the context of Ephesians 4, uh, it, it's, uh, Paul is addressing the, the church right there. He's talking about uh, the importance of the unity of the body, gifts that are given to, to serve, how the, the maturation of the body is important, and, and all these things. And so then he comes to this, this point in uh, verse 20. He says, um, but that is not the way you learn Christ, okay? Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, he goes on to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That, that passage is so packed full of great truths, and I want to unpack a couple of those things. The first is this. If you notice in the text, there's three active verbs, okay? Those three active verbs are, let's go back through them just in the text to make sure. Okay, he says, <clears throat> you have, the way you learned Christ in verse 20, so that, that there's this learning that we would engage in gaining knowledge and learning about Christ. The second active verb is in 21. He says, you've heard about him. So obviously there's things that we could read in the text that's not about hearing, but I think when we engage in relationship, and Paul's pointing that out specifically here, that he's been teaching the, the, the Ephesian church and others, and so they're hearing the gospel message from him. So that's another engaging, active verb right there that you've heard him. And the third is uh, that you were taught. So, so it's, it's almost that emphasis again of the, the idea of learning, but it's the, the engagement of relationships. So you, so you see that emphasis in there. Now, what is also interesting is there's a result about the, the work when we engage in these things, and that engagement comes out through these infinitives. Now, Gina, you're my grammar Nazi when you read my papers and help me edit. So what, what, are, the, what are infinitives designed to do? Okay, so that's the formation. It's two plus the verb. And how do they function? Yes, or as an adjective. So, because nouns can also be descriptives. So, here's what's interesting about the idea of these infinitives, okay? They're pointing to an object, to, to the verbs that we're to engage in, to, to learn, to hear, and to be taught, have an object. And what is the object? Did you catch this in the text? Well, let's make it clear. He says, verse, in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Okay? So, so here's the emphasis. The object is that we would learn Christ. That may sound like so mundane for a church body on a Sunday morning to think through. But, but as I thought about that text and, and was thinking about what does it mean to know the Lord, to learn Christ is precious. 
And when Paul emphasizes the learning, the hearing, and the being taught, the object being Christ is essential. And I think we live in an age where learning Christ is actually like secondary to learning all the things that we will be blessed with. That we want the results, not the relationship. And I think that's where we in a current modern culture have missed out on a lot of the, the hope of the gospel. Because the real hope of the gospel is learning Christ. And so let's look at now at these infinitives and what they mark. So the infinitives, he, he says in, in verse 22, you learn in, in, as a truth in Christ in verse 21, he says then, to put off your old self. See, our old self, and that's what Michael was talking about this morning that, that when, he, when he did the invocation and shared those scriptures, that our hearts are wired wrongly, that they're sinful and desperately wicked. If we don't get those things taken care of, we can't know Christ. We've got to put off the old self to know Christ well. We've, we've got to be disciplined to say, the old self can't rule. The, the things of the old man cannot be what we desire. So, so to put off the old, the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. That sounds just like that passage in Jeremiah 17, 9, right? And then he says, and then to, to, second of all, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What, what a great thought. Um, if you've never memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2, I would so highly encourage you to memorize that passage that talks about how we are to be renewed in our minds so that our worship would be genuine to the Lord. And so here's another passage that talks about that idea of mind renewal. And see, that's where the old self focuses on the, the old things. Mind renewal helps us to focus on the new things and who we are in Christ. So to study, to learn, to hear, to be taught those new things so that we be uh, right in whom? Because the object, again, is who? Christ. And these infinitives point back to the object, Christ. The, the third one is this, to put off I'm sorry, to put on, in verse 24, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in, to, in true righteousness and holiness. So I was, um, this is, it's, it's kind of give you a little insight into to what was happening when I was studying. I actually started in the passage in Hebrews that we're going to turn to here in, in just a second. And as I was studying that and reading uh, John Owen, who is a Puritan writer, um, uh, scholar, he has written an entire series on the book of Hebrews. It's one of the richest ever. And so I was looking at his teaching on Hebrews 3, and he pointed back to this passage in Ephesians and was talking about these things. And so as, as I was reading that, I thought, his comments are so rich. And so I want to uh, just share what he identifies as he was reflecting on this passage. He says this, to hear, uh oh, and let me, let me set the context a little bit. He's going back to this idea of hearing, or, or learning, hearing, teaching, okay, that, that these things relate together, but if, if that's our only focus, if that's our end goal is just to get those things, it's not enough. No, so this is a little puritanical language, so bear with me as I, I read through, through this and listen real carefully. It says, to hear that we may learn, to learn that we may learn is but part of our duty. So, so he's saying it's not just enough for us to engage in the learning process, okay? He says um, further, indeed, in and for themselves, no part of it. Okay, so that's, that's that statement there. To hear and to learn are good, but not for themselves, for their own sake, but only for the practice 
of what we hear and learn. Do you get that, what he's saying? It goes back to what Frame was saying, that knowledge of God must be coupled with obedience. Those things are inextricably linked. If we don't if we don't connect learning with practicality, with outworking of our faith, then it's really for naught. Does that make sense? Now, uh, most of y'all are going to go, yeah, that makes total sense. The rub, though, I think is there's typically disconnects. That, that we go through our lives thinking, well, if I just learn these things, that tends to be enough, and we don't really engage. And so I think that this is where Frame and Owen get this so right, is that our obedience to Christ is the culmination. The outworking of our faith is the culmination of that faith. Does that echo James at all rightly? Yeah, because faith without works is what? Dead. Thank you. So, so we've got to be people that, that certainly operate and understand faith, but we've got to practice it as well. So let's look at Hebrews 3 now. Turn over there with me, and let's, let's begin to look at verses 3, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Okay, I'll give you just a second to get there. All right, here's what, what we read. We don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I've got mixed feelings about that, um, so I'm not going to get into that this morning. Um, but the writer, okay, the writer says this, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. It doesn't that echo? You see why Owen pointed to Ephesians 4? Because consider Jesus. Be taught. He's the object. Consider him. Learn him. Okay? So consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house of itself. So, I uh, was doing a little bit of Greek word study in this because I was like, I, I really try to, want to try to understand what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here as we think about this thought of considering Christ. So, I, I did a little research on the word consider. It's an imperative or a command, okay? Now, when, when we think about the importance of that word being a command, I started going, I don't think I use the word consider in the same way that it's used in Scripture. You know, today, I think the kind of the, the vernacular use, the, the way we employ consider is like somebody says something to you like, hey, have you ever considered this? And you're like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. We, we treat it almost like flippantly. Does that mean, am I the only one that does that? Or I'll consider it, you know, and I kind of throw it out like, oh, it's going to be something I'll just kind of think through a little bit. That is exactly the opposite of what this word means, okay? It is, it is a word that in the original meaning, listen to this, it means to fully observe something. So, like, if we were to, to, to look at that, like, I, I can give you a good illustration of this really quickly. Think about you're looking at the stage from this, the, the outside to the, the stage back, right? So, up at the front, we have these uh, front fill speakers, but what you don't see is there tends to always be tucked little things behind those speakers. So especially if you're sitting kind of in line with them, can you tell what's behind them? Maybe, maybe not, right? But, but on both sides, we have hand sanitizer. Over here, it looks like there's some kind of plastic picks or something else tucked down in behind them. 
until you fully observe and walk around, right, and get the full perspective that you, you don't understand it, and, and you can't con, uh, comprehend all the details of that. So it's the same thing, we go, what's behind the curtains on the, the sides, right? You might go, well, it's nothing really back there. There's tons of junk, okay? We're talking about cleaning it out, right, Danny? Yeah, tons of junk. Um, and so we're hiding all that stuff because we, we want the worship center to be, you know, presentable. So my point being, we can consider those things, and until you walk around and look, you don't really know, right? So the important idea of this is the writer of Hebrews is saying to us, consider Christ, fully observe Him and what He's about so that your faith will be strengthened. And, and I think that's such an important part about going back to Ephesians and what we read there is that we're to, to learn and hear and be taught these things so that we know Christ and we're able to do these things practically. So um, thus, I'm going to just read these because I think this is the best wording I could get. Thus we find the contemplative consideration of the things of Christ as the most significant things that we can hear and learn so that knowledge produces a practical response of obedience to him that transforms the old self with the new and who we are in Christ. So the question is, how are we doing contemplating the things of God? So, so last week, you may hopefully remember um, what we shared and, and focused on is the importance of prayer. We looked at the life of Daniel and how he had a, a life of habitual prayer, that he studied the word and was impacted as he read Jeremiah, and that helped him understand the 70 days, or the 70 weeks, and, uh, or 70 years, sorry, and the period that he was uh, in, and then ultimately he has a special time of prayer. And we, we issued this challenge that we're approaching a, a, a vision retreat in a couple of weeks on the 22nd, and we think that's important for the leadership of our church that's gathering. That is not just the elders, that is going to be deacons, that's going to be other ministry leaders, and we ask you to spend a time in, in uh, prayer together up until that. So the problem that I see is a lot of times we'll issue those challenges, and those, those challenges or those, those uh, particular practices that we're asking feel a little bit overwhelming and daunting. And it, we, we often think that it's going to be so tough, and, and we consider it in that light sense, but we don't engage. And what's interesting to me is that as I started thinking through this message, and I want to give you a, a key question here that, that I be, began to ask, and it's this. Will you do this, engage in these things this year with the intention of gaining purchase? That's like gaining traction, okay, in a different kind of obedience in your life. This in, so that you, where, where God has called us to learn Christ, that you will learn him more and practice that uh, in your life. And I thought, that's an easy question to ask, and I bet everybody would kind of go, yeah, I'll do that. But th then I started thinking, wow, the, the practicality of really doing that well is hard. It's an easy ask, but it is hard to really go gung-ho, yes. And I started thinking, how do I do that well? How do I do that well in my own life? How do, how do I encourage you as a church to say, yeah, I can answer that, but with a, a hearty, let's do that. And, and what I realized is the writer of Hebrews has answered this. He's answered how we endure the struggle. And I think this is a key, okay? So let's go back and look at Hebrews 3.1 real quickly together. This is so essential. And he says, therefore, holy brothers... 
Now, in the Greek, the word order is a little different. So we're going to go according to the Greek word or word order. The, the word order there is actually, therefore, brothers holy. Okay? Now, the word brothers is so important. It emphasizes relationship. And I know you know that, right? But I, I want you to think through the importance of relationship for just a minute. C.S. Lewis, um, I, I've never heard of this, but I, I went through and looked at some quotes on Lewis. It just was one of those, those things that I do. I have a book that has quotes and stuff, and I pulled this out. Has anybody read In the World's Last Night? Okay. <laughs> so it's, I think it must be an obscure one, and, and I won't get into all the history, okay? But, but he's written some essays, and they're compiled in this, In the World's Last Night. Um, and he talks about brotherhood, okay, in relationship. Listen to what he says. Our loyalty is due not to our species, and there's a reason he's talking about humanity as a species there. He says, but to God, okay? Our loyalty is due not to our species, but to God. Those who are or can become his sons are our real brothers. I like that. Because if we don't have the Lord at our center of our relationships, what are we really founded on? What's, what's the core of our relationship really built upon? It could be affinities, like, hey, we both like Nashville soccer, right? Oh, great. But when they lose, what happens? Well, we, we get miserable, and then, you know, we may lose relationship. We have different perspectives. We, we may like uh, some other kind of hobby together. Great. You know, Nate plays guitar. I play guitar. So we've had some camaraderie about guitars. But that is not a central as what it means to know Christ together, right? That, that we are brothers, that we are co-heirs in Christ. Now listen to what he says next, okay? He says, it is, it is spiritual, not biological kinship that counts. That was like, boom. So, so when the writer of Hebrews is saying, therefore, holy brothers or brothers who are holy, that spiritual kinship is unlike any other relationship that we have. And, and that kinship, that spiritual kinship, is what provides us that ability to enhance our relationship with Christ as we learn Him and as we flesh out our obedience to Him. See, we cannot do this spiritual faith thing on our own. It's simple, isn't it? But, but the truth is, I think too often we try. We try to do it without one another. So, um, John Owen, he goes on, and he explains that what it means for men to be brothers. I love this too. He says, they have one father, are to be of one family, and listen to this, and equally interested in the privileges and advantages thereof. This is the nearest bond of alliance that is or can be between equals, the firmest foundation of love. When you hear that statement by Owen, thinking, in Christ, we have the equal interest and the deepest foundation of love. There is no bond that is greater than our relationship that is secured for us in Jesus Christ. That's why we must learn Christ. That's why we must encourage each other towards understanding Christ. That's why I think when Paul talked about this in Ephesians, to, to learn to be to hear and to be taught. 
It's about relationships there. It's not just sitting and breaking open the scripture and, and, and that being enough. It's about us engaging in God speak and encouragement and wisdom with each other. There is no greater privilege. There is no, uh, there, there is, uh, than knowing Christ, there, there's nothing that can equal that in our lives. Do, do you get that? Therefore, we need to make sure that that is what we champion above all else. So, let me encourage you for just a minute, for believers then, whether in affliction or victory, struggle or peace, our ministry to one another as fellow members of the household of God and as co-heirs with Christ ought to impact one another in a way that honors that familial, that family relationship that exists because of who we are in Christ. It should be greater than any other relationship that we express. So, that made me start thinking about an important truth that Scripture communicates, and it's the one another's. And I want to just read about seven of these to you, and you can jot down these Scriptures to go back and, and reference later. In Romans 12.10, listen to this. As we think about ministry to one another, if, if we're called as brother, in that brotherhood, that holy brotherhood, to build relationships, to minister, to be those living stones that are built upon one another, to invest so that we would learn Christ well, listen to these one another's. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Romans 15, 7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. In 2 Corinthians 13, 11, we read this, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. In Ephesians 4, 32, we read, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians 3.16, we read this. Let the word of, of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So that word, brothers, is packed with meaning. It's packed with extra relationship to other passages of Scripture that emphasize how we are to operate together as believers in, in Christ, as the one another's of Scripture are carried forth to one another. Now, the other word that I want us to unpack is this idea of, of the, the word holy, because it says brothers who are holy, or bro holy brothers. I want to remind you that each one of us who is in Christ is being sanctified, okay? I know you know that. But, but that sanctification is producing a purity in every one of us. That, that Christ's image, Him being the holy, righteous Savior, we would be made in His likeness and His image as we grow in our faith. And so as we encourage one another, 
What we ought to do, and as we practice these one another's, what we ought to do and see is the hope of Christ, His likeness being produced in every one of us. So, um, Katie, can I, I'm not going to go real deep into what we talked about in the car about, uh, she, she gave me the thumbs up if y'all didn't see. Um, so, yesterday we got to go to Chattanooga to visit my mom's family. We've not done that in probably eight or nine years. It's just calendars and stuff have not worked out. It's been too long. But one of the, one of the things that Katie was doing as she was uh, riding, because I was the one driving yesterday, she grabbed her book, Gentle and Lowly, and uh, that she's working towards finishing to next uh, Sunday when we get to have the book discussion. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but, but here's what was really cool is Katie had in her margin written the, the word wow, and above that the word what, and, and as she was reading through this chapter, a couple of things that Dane Ortland had written in the book just struck a, a chord within her heart about some things in relationships. And so Julianne and, and she and I were driving down the road, she just began to talk about that. And we as a threesome right there got to unpack the goodness of God and what he'd been teaching her in the reading. And I, I as a, a, a husband, because I think he kind of said this at one point, you may know this stuff and you know, feel like it, you know, it's, it's just there, but it was new for her. And, and there's times that I try not to pastor her. <laughs> I, I just need to trust that the Holy Spirit will teach her lessons. And this was one of those great times where I didn't do that. The Holy Spirit got to do it. And she learned some really incredible, important, incredibly important truths for her in her season of life. And it was, I think, healing for you. Um, I think it was freeing for you. And it was a blessing to Julianne and I to get to, to listen to that. And, and then to, like, work back through that with her in, in some unique ways. Now, why do I share that story? And I know it's a little bit veiled. Um, that's partially intentional because I want y'all to be able to hear her share her own story uh, next Sunday when we come to the, the book discussion, okay? And, and let me say this about this really quickly, too. Even if you've read five chapters of the book, come, okay? And, and I, I sent out an email. They take about 15 minutes to read. I, I know. I read with pencil in hand. I, I know I probably read so much and read fast, but I read one in eight minutes, okay? So I think you can double your time even with pencil in hand, and read some of these. If you'll just take that time in the next couple of days to come ready to discuss. Because here's the, the, my point. It's not just about the book. Okay, the book's great. It's really great. He says some things that are, I think, spot on and that will encourage you. But the, the reason we want to do the discussion is to fulfill what we're talking about right here. Is that we would get together collectively and we're not going to do this in just a large group, okay? This is going to be like um, what I would say is organic, kind of amoebic. There's going to be small group discussion. There'll be some large group. We'll go back and forth in and through that. So we'll get some things to share. It'll be very specific on chapters as well as great concepts. So if you have a wow moment, if you're reading it upside down, it says mom. So it could be a mom moment or a wow moment. That's what Katie said. Um, so come and share your wow moment. And that's enough, because that will be encouragement to someone about how the Lord is teaching you, how you've heard and how you've learned, and how they hear what you've learned will encourage them in their faith. And that's what we want this to be about. So, so what my, my whole point is this. 
that when we gain this right perspective and we begin to see and share how God has moved in our lives and we're encouraging one another, we're fulfilling what Scripture has called us to do. And that's what the writer of Hebrews later says. Turn over real quickly to Hebrews 10. It's one of these great key passages. I'm, I'm so thankful for Dr. Brian Richardson that had me memorize this when I was at Bryan College. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Actually, let's go back to 23. It says, let us hold firm uh, or hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promises faithful. That, that is a collective thing, I think, because it's the us there. We need each other holding firm our confession or holding fast to that confession of faith and the hope that we have in Christ. And then in verse 24, he says, let us consider how to stir one another up. There's another one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, I could go off on, on this a tangent huge here. We've said over the course of the last two years, we sure hope the Lord returns quickly. It's got to be closer. Well, if that, that's the case, we're seeing this uh, come about as, as a, we see the day approaching, okay, or see the day drawing near. That's the return of Christ. So what ought we to be doing? We ought to be meeting together. We ought to be meeting together faithfully. We ought to be encouraging one another. That's our design and, and the Lord's design for us. So as we learn these practical truths about how we are to learn Christ, and we are to take the knowledge and the obedience, we are to put them together so that our faith is strengthened, and more so as we build in relationship to one another. So here's what, what's interesting to me, and, and, and I'm not going to break down all of Hebrews 3, but as you look through this, it says that Jesus, uh, or in verse 2, He's who's faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So, so Jesus is considered to be the one building a house for us. Now, here's what I, I want to share just real quickly from, from this perspective. is Jesus is the manager of the home. You know, moms, y'all can put this in a real quick perspective. As you think about your responsibility most likely as the, the manager of your home, as the homemaker, you're looking around seeing all the responsibilities and things that need to be done, and you will dish out those responsibilities to husbands, to children, and even to yourself alike, right? Because you, you get this global perspective of everything that ought to happen. Well, Jesus is the manager of the spiritual house that we are part of. And as that spiritual manager, as that, that, that godly manager, as the one who is the highest and, and the, the most pure and the righteous one, we can trust his management and his leadership to provide us the best spiritual outcome as he calls us to right thinking, right obedience, right responsibilities, all of those things. And here's the beauty, okay? Think back to, real quickly, to Ephesians chapter 2. Prior to all those things that we've talked about this morning, about the church and, and these other things, this becomes kind of more individual. In Ephesians 2, just after all these things that we've been, we, we learn about being saved by grace and being called in the kingdom of God, here's what we read. We are his workmanship. The manager of the house, he's working in us. Okay, the Lord is working in us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which he has prepared beforehand so, so it's not like just good works that we get to go, oh, oh, what do we do? 
No, He's created the good works beforehand. All we have to do is walk in them. You follow that? It's not like we have to to face these good works with fear and trepidation and like, oh goodness, what am I going to do? It's the joy of what He's already established for us. We just walk it out in obedience. Go back to what I shared about Frame and Owen and Lewis. See, this is where relationship and obedience and knowledge come together, that they're all inextricably linked in Christ. And so as we learn Him and we flesh this out, really learning Christ takes shape in us as the body. Does that make sense? I hope so. And it's why when we look and go, okay, what are we doing as we rightly engage as a church is essential. So so when we talk about the importance of praying for the vision retreat, guys, this is not a fleeting thing. It's an essential thing. When we talk about Will standing going, hey, need mowers, need somebody on a string trimmer. I call it a weed eater. Maybe I had too many weeds and not enough grass in my yard. I don't know, Will. You're from up north. Is that what they call them up north? It's a string trimmer. That's a great description. I'm just picking. Weed whacker's a brand. A string trimmer's generic. Okay. Thank you for clarifying for me. I needed to learn that. So we're still good, right? Okay, okay. He said, oh, yeah. Um, I need to be taught more things like that, Will. So, um, so. I think the struggle for us is this, that, that when we look at the importance of obeying, we, we go, oh, yeah, yeah. But then what we do, because we come together on Sunday and then we do this through the week, tend, tend to be independent, that, that we're really not rightly engaging. And I want to encourage you that if we're going to learn Christ rightly, we, we've got to bring these, these qualities, these characteristics together. And we have a call and responsibility to, to be the body living together well. So, I want to ask you a couple questions this morning in conclusion. First, are you rightly pursuing the Lord in knowledge and obedience? Are you rightly pursuing the Lord in knowledge and obedience? I'm going to tell you, it's hard. It's hard because we tend to get very distracted, don't we? We tend to take a lot of time for other things instead of taking the time for the things of God. Second of all, because I think this is where this holy brotherhood comes together, are you rightly engaging with the church? So, to, so as to enjoy the family privileges, rightly expressing the one another's of Scripture. That's maybe the, the harder of the two questions, actually. Because I think we can answer the first one oftentimes going, yeah, I'm, I'm rightly doing these things privately. But then we don't engage. And what I, I think has happened both by culture and some of the, the, the norms of life now. I put norms in quotes because I, I hope norm is not where we are still, okay? I, I don't know what normal will ever be, but I think this, there's a norm according to the scriptures that we need to pursue because God has defined 
what normal is to be in relationship. And if we allow the world to define that, we're going to be weakened as a body. Communities will be weakened because the community needs, needs healthy church life. Therefore, we are called rightly to pursue God's best. That looks like this. Us engaging in right, holy brotherhood, according to Hebrews. That, that we would do these things well. And, and I think our, because of the struggle of where we've been in culture, <coughs> excuse me, because culture has taken us and isolated us and insulated us and quarantined us, that we've drifted into that mode and it's been hard for us to re-engage rightly as, as church bodies. And I'm not just saying that about the Grove. I think it's across the board in churches. The, the people that I talk to, pastor friends, they're struggling. They're watching their churches struggle to re-engage in relationships. And folks, if you've had a tendency to be isolated or insulated or, or disengaged, I would encourage you, hear this, hear the hope of the gospel message that that family privilege in Christ is the key that we would learn and we'd apply our knowledge and we would obey Him. And in doing so, we would find great hope, we'd find great freedom, we'd find great joy, we'd find great victory in the midst of all the struggles, and ultimately we would find Christ being reflected in us and through us. Ultimately, that means this, He's being glorified by how we're doing that makes sense? So, I don't know where you are, um, but I know this. The Holy Spirit wants to deal with each of us where we are. So, you may need to repent of some isolation and insulation. You may need to say, you know, repent of being uh, somebody who's not been in the Word and being faithful in those things. I don't know. That's up to you and the Lord, okay? But I want us to do this. We're going to take a minute and pray. We're going to respond to what the Holy Spirit wants us to respond to and how He's spoken to us. So, let's bow together. Heavenly Father, as we consider these truths this morning, Lord, I pray that your spirit would just speak to us clearly, convict us, call us to respond in, in the right way so that you are honored in our lives. That's both individually and corporately as a, a church body. So, Father, I, I, I pray that just in the next 30 seconds as I'm quiet that, that your spirit would move and people would respond. Heavenly Father, first of all, I, th I thank you for Christ. I thank you for your perfect plan of salvation. Lord, and even as Nate prayed earlier today, this just arrested my attention. So many times we can say thank you for all the things that you, you've done. But as Nate prayed, Lord, we're, we're thankful for who you are. That, that you are a living, true God that Christ is a living Savior that mediates even right now on our behalf, that he, he understands our struggles, but He's also provided us victory and hope, wisdom, 
relationship that has changed because of who we are in Him, or there's transformation, sanctification, ultimately there's going to be glorification, and we get a taste of that even now. So all of these things of who we are in Christ, Lord, is, is a reflection of who He is ultimately. And so, Lord, this morning, that's, that is reason enough for us to worship. But it's also reason enough for us to worship through obedience. So, so Lord, let it not just be about knowledge, but let it be about our engagement with you, engagement with one another, because you have called us to be people of a body life together that honors you. So, Father, we, we, where we have fallen short in sin or weakness and struggles, maybe it's contextually, maybe it's just personal uh, issues in, in our own hearts, Lord, we, we can repent and we can turn to you and find hope and peace and strength. And, Lord, especially what we need is commitment to one another in the body life where we edify you by edifying one another. So, Lord, I pray that we be a church body who is about the one another's in Scripture. So, Father, now as we stand together and we conclude our, our worship service today as we sing a reprise, uh, Lord, hear our hearts. Let our voices as well be lifted so that you are glorified and honored by us together. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand together and sing.